Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am always joined, by the maternal. Are you maternal? Mature. I mean, you are mature. And melted. Oh, maybe not so much today. Mad Wizard Merwin. What's up, Sean? Uh, I, I can be any of those three for 99 cents a, a, an hour. <laughs> well, then. Yes. Moving on from that bit of ridiculousness, let's get right into announcements, because, you know, that's what we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about D&D today. So uh, tell me about Baldur's Gate. It's about to come out, The Descent into Avernus. Yes. Seeing that we are recording this show three days before it releases, it will be out by the time you're listening to this. So you can go to Amazon. You can go to your favorite local game store. You can go to anywhere that sells fine Dungeons & Dragons products and buy the newest book, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. You know, Sean, I think I'm just going to buy mine on D&D Beyond. That is a good way to do it as well. Um, that is how I'm buying most of my books these days. I mean, I can't get enough of, of D&D on, but there's a bunch of reviews that are starting to pop up here and there. I saw the new BDM posting some things up on Twitter and such. Yeah, the, the reviews that I have seen so far are all very positive uh, about the not just the adventure, but... Um, you know, all of the stuff in the book, as well as all the peripherals that are going with it, like the dice and miscellany uh, product that has a set of dice that go along with uh, with this adventure, plus like cards and dice bags. And it's a it's a whole thing, Chris. It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. I saw some of the pictures, too. They look really cool. Like a lot of the stuff looks cool. I like the maps. I like I mean, I, I kind of like all the look of the whole thing. Yep. One of the things I will say about the book is that even though it takes on some pretty tough gaming um pretty tough stuff to run for DMs it specifically tries to help new DMs get uh you know get a feel for what they're running so even if you are a new DM i think this product would be good uh even though normally running extra planar content is tough. Uh, I think it does a pretty good job of, of helping you along the way. I mean, maybe we could take our, uh, our adventure design series, the ideas from there and see if it actually does a lot of that stuff in a uh, descent into Avernus at some point. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. Give yeah. us a, give us a couple of weeks to get through some other stuff and maybe we could certainly do that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, the cover revealed for Eberron rising from the last war, the real cover, not the fake cover that looked very strange. Yeah, it's again, before the show, we were talking about gamers uh, in general and, and human beings uh, specifically. And uh, yeah, so when the book was first announced and it started showing up on certain websites that would be selling it, they had a placeholder cover, but they didn't say it was a placeholder cover. So there was a pretty significant freak out, uh, as only gamers can, about the cover. Look, I thought it was a bad cover, and I thought it was the real cover. Yeah, I, I thought it was a cover, um, just like any other cover. And so I was like, okay, yeah, great. 
um, you know, opinions and stuff. Yeah, the new cover is way better, by the way, everybody. And so now they actually have the cover up. If you go to say Amazon or if you go to the Wizards uh, website to look at the preview of the book, uh, you can see that the new cover has a Warforged wizard, uh, as well as a halfling, a Talenta Plains halfling, wielding a boomerang, I believe. Uh huh. As, as well as a dinosaur. Uh huh. Can I say why I like this cover so much? Sure. It, in um, most of the other depictions of Warforged that we've gotten, they're often shown as being very large and bulky and very much in the realm of like war machines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a very thin right. Warforged that is not bulky and it's kind of spindly and it shows that there can be different Warforged. It's true. You, but you are absolutely correct. A lot of times they're, you know, they've got the blades for their arms, you know, and they're all hulked out, and they've got spikes growing out of them. And yeah, um, it's it's nice to uh, it's nice to see that there isn't just this one type of warforged, if you will. Mm-hmm. I also really like the Talenta Plains halfling on the mm-hmm. cover too. That's really yeah. good. Yep. Yeah, a good art tells a story, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's my point. The right. first cover, the placeholder cover, didn't tell anything about anything. It didn't look very Eberron at all. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, also that that uh, that that I didn't get the thing with the thing on the shoulder, the little animal on the shoulder. I didn't know what that was. I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard of that thing in Eberron. Oh, it's an expeditious messenger. Is that what that is? Yeah, you know, it's it's the little constructs that you can make that mage rights can make. Uh, they can make the iron defenders. They can make the. Uh, Expeditious Messenger, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, I'm I, glad that you got that. As you can tell, it didn't. I didn't get it at all. Uh, well, uh, I've I've done a lot of work in Eberron over the years, so I guess it just comes second nature. I don't know. Uh, okay, let's move on. I mean, well, actually, we, I wanted to say one more thing about oh, Eberron. Sure, is that uh, the book comes out the 19th of November, but if you are going to be at Gamehole Con three weeks before that uh, release, we will be previewing the Adventurers League Eberron Oracle of War campaign, so you may get to see some of the things from the book a little bit early. Ooh. We had a question in our forums or a comment in our forums about, by the way, forums.misdirectedmark.com Yep. Uh, about whether there was going to be just an AL Eberron campaign and why they just went with a AL Eberron campaign. And there's both. There's a Forgotten Realms AL campaign and an AL campaign for Eberron. And Eberron, right. Yeah. They're going to be two separate things. They do not cross. Um, they're going to be very different in terms of the style of play that they promote. Uh, but you will have your chance to play official, organized play Eberron Adventures. Very neat. All yep. right. Let's move on to the D&D Essentials Kit. Yes. I just wanted to, I think we may have mentioned this before, but I think it bears repeating that you know a couple weeks ago, the D&D Essentials Kit was not available worldwide. It was only available at Target uh, since, I believe, June. But as of a couple weeks ago, you can now buy it anywhere. So again, you know, you can go to Amazon, you can go to your local game store, wherever you get your stuff, the essentials kit should be there. And the adventure in the essentials kit called Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, 
I think is a really, really good intro adventure. Uh, people said Lost Minds of Fandelver was a good intro adventure, and it's okay. It's you know, it's it's decent, but I think Dragon of Ice Spire Peak is even better. Uh, I think it's much easier for new DMs to run Dragon of Ice Spire Peak than it was Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, because of, of the way the adventure set up and the way it explains to you as a new DM, you know, the best ways to run it. It also uses the sidekick system, uh, that we reviewed a version of it from Unearthed Arcana, uh, a few months ago. Uh, it uses that. So you, if you have fewer than a normal amount of players, you can use the sidekick system to, um, to bulk up the party and it also includes a way to play one-on-one -on -one adventures so one player one dm and the adventure scales to, to allow you to do that with very few um, hiccups and since that adventure takes you to level six dnd beyond and other online game sites i think like roll 20 might have it and fantasy grounds might have it as well um, there are three adventures that follow up on Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. They're called Storm Lord's Wrath, Sleeping Dragon's Wake, and Divine Contention. Um, Storm Lord's Wrath starts you at level 7, so right after uh, the adventure Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, you can go right into that. Uh, I think that goes 7 to 9. Sleeping Dragon's Wake might go from like 9 to 11, and then uh, Divine Contention like 12 to 14. Something in those areas. I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but in these three adventures, they're all linked, and so it's kind of the second part, if you will, of of this storyline. Where uh, and and in these three linked adventures, you can help rebuild the town of Lilan uh, as it deals with both natural and supernatural threats. So, if you want to just run it as a straight, you know, adventure where you know, the characters are just off doing quests. You can play it that way. But if you want them to become involved in the rebuilding of this town, it's a great way to use, like, downtime to have them do things other than adventure as this town is being built so they can get involved in the creation of the town. It's really cool. Yeah. So it's out there. It's all there for you if you are interested. Um I know it's for sure it's up on D&D Beyond, so you can see those three adventures there. And if you bought the D&D the Essentials kit, um, there is a code in it that you can go to D&D Beyond and get the online version of it, um, I think, for free, as well as those three adventures. So it's just extra content waiting there um, if you have those codes from the D&D Essentials kit. Very nice. All right, uh, I guess we should move on to our main topic then for the day, which is yes. part four of Acquisitions Incorporated. We're going to talk about player options. Uh, we're going to cover the backgrounds, playing with class, uh, the Verdam, which is a new race, and the spells, and a little bit about the factions and rivals. It'll be mm -hmm. what we talk about. Yep. Um, so let's talk about the backgrounds real quick. We're not going to get too deep into them. Um, there's five of them. There's the Celebrity, uh, Adventurer Scion. There's a failed merchant, there's a gambler, there's a plaintiff, and there's a rival intern. Um, they're all pretty much the same in sort of like their format, but they're, they all have a lot of flavor. They look like backgrounds, right, Sean? Yes, they are definitely backgrounds. 
Yeah. Now, these backgrounds, they're a little different from what you would consider normal backgrounds, because I feel like the idea is that somewhere along the way, something went wrong with each of these people. Yeah. When we were creating these, it, you know, it came to my mind that the adventuring life isn't one that you take on if you're you know, a well-adjusted, normal person. Um, you know, you're, you're off killing things. You are throwing yourself into danger. And that's not something that a normal, rational person does. Um, and some of the best characters in, you know, whatever sort of fiction you're into, be it novels or movies or, you know, television or comics or whatever, um, there's something in the background that is, is motivating uh, that character. And so that's why I thought, you know, these are good for, as as you said, what went wrong that that pushed you in the direction that you're you're heading. That makes sense. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's exactly how they're all written, right? Yep. Um, some of the let's just talk about some of the uh, the abilities that you give them because those are the like the things that people really care about because the mm-hmm. backgrounds are pretty fun, right? Like, uh, the celebrity adventure sign. I mean, it's hilarious, right? You are the the son of an, a famous adventurer or, yeah. the, or the daughter of a famous adventurer or, you know, whatever gender term you would like to use for a famous adventurer, yep. uh, the scion of a famous adventurer. Uh, the, the, um, the tool proficiency caught me cause you get a disguise, you get proficient with a disguise kit so you can disguise yourself. Right. I mean, you know, if you're famous and you're walking around, you may not want to be known. So you, mm-hmm. Put on your disguise. Uh, and then name dropping. Like, people know you because of your last name. Yep. Like, you just be like, hey, uh, my, my parent was this person. Right. And then they, they want to hear stories, right? They, mm-hmm. they want to know. So they'll do something for you. Hey, come, on, come in. Here's, here's a drink. Here's a meal. Tell me about, you know, your, your famous parent. Mm-hmm. And you get, you get a little something for that. Like, you get a little, uh, I mean, you can use it for inspiration, too, if you want, as, as uh, dungeon masters out there, but like you get that hospitality or whatever little bit yep. you were looking for was. Yep. Um, the failed merchant. There's a supply chain. Like you have connections. Like you were a merchant, you failed at at being a merchant, and because even though you failed, you still have all those connections that you made while you were a merchant. So that uh that supply chain means you know people also mm-hmm. just in a different way. Yep. Um, the gambler. I feel like this is the one that isn't as much of a a background as much as it is a way of life. Like. You are a gambler. Like, you just take risky chances for the most part. Yeah, I, I think what we were going for is more of, it, it wasn't, it, it was not just that you're a risk taker, but, you know, you, this is how you made your living. Yeah. But you may not have been great at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Except you do get never tell me the odds, which is what odds or games of chance are the best ones to play. Right. I mean, the the best gamblers know how to figure the odds in their head. And then, so that's like the intelligence part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then they're also wise enough to play those odds. And as opposed to doing silly things um, that go against the odds. Yeah. To me, this is by far the most Han Solo background that's ever mm-hmm. been invented <laughs> yep uh let's talk about the plaintiff i like this one a lot mm-hmm. a lot for this book uh you were wronged by acquisitions incorporated but instead of like you know getting money out of them or whatever they offered you a job yeah <laughs> that's this is 
this is Acquisitions Incorporated all the way. Oh, <laughs> we're we're guilty of something. Well, I'll tell you what, you drop your claim, and have we got a deal for you? How would you love to throw fire? Right. Yeah. Um, the ability that you get is legal ease, which is you can use legal talk to intimidate people or to get special favors. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like it doesn't always work, but right. you know when it does work, it's very useful. Yep. Uh, by the way, a lot of these abilities are great that way because they give you something, but there's always a caveat where it probably where it just won't work, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, it's it's a lot of it's game master dependent, dungeon master dependent, right? Um, yeah, and and I think that tone is one that that we just we used because a lot of these backgrounds are exactly like that, right? Um, you know, the criminal, the you know probably one of the most used backgrounds. Um, in D and D it's, you know, you have a criminal contact Mm -hmm. and that criminal contact may come in handy or may not. It's up to you and it's up to the DM. Actually, they're supposed to always be useful when you use them. It actually says it right in the rules. It's one of the ones that always annoys me when people don't use it that way. Cause I'm like, but I took it because of that reason. Right. But there's a, there's an, there's an implied caveat with all of them that the DM has to create that connection or you have to work with the DM to create that connection. And to just say as a player, you know, oh, you know, we're going to be fighting a pit fiend. I certainly have a criminal contact who knows all of the weaknesses of a pit fiend. Now, that's that's a huge step. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. You know, it says it will always be useful, but then a player can, that can mean different things to different people. That's, that's true. I always, so, I'm, I'm always relying on the idea of uh, narrative positioning in games because right. if the narrative doesn't make sense, then it doesn't matter. And these are all narrative games. So as soon as you destroy the narrative in a way that doesn't make sense, then the, then I guess it's a difference between the way that I think about games and the way that other people think about games, because uh, they should only be useful in criminal enterprise, but right. they shouldn't be the. But it shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go to my criminal contract and they instantly betray me. No, right, exactly. It's it, it it's it's just like you're saying, right? It it needs to fit the situation, you know, and it needs to work in a way that everyone agrees that makes sense in terms of the narrative. And so that's why, you know, we put all of that into these features for these backgrounds. So for legalese, it's um, with common folks who don't know any better, you might be able to intimidate or deceive them to get favors or special treatment by, you know, throwing out legal jargon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's how it should be, right? Yeah. Depending on what you're trying to get, you might be able to. Yeah. And like, that's the wording that makes these work so much better, in my opinion, than some of the earlier backgrounds. Yeah. And... uh and there's also that's where you can get a comedic effect out of it. Yep, that too. Right? Because you think it's going to be X, and if it works out that you can still get it, but in a different way, um, it becomes you know Y, but you're still getting what you want, and then there's comedy as a as an outcome as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one's a really good story one. It's a rival intern. So mm-hmm. like you used to work for somebody else. Um, but you liked the way that AI did things better and joined up with them instead. So you've already been in this business, probably working for Dran Enterprises or whatever other company you have that exists in this uh, in this world, right. 
or your world. Um, and you have the ability of inside informant, which is like you have connections with your previous employer. So you know stuff about them. Right. And like you said, it works best if it's if it's, you know, Dron Enterprises or some other entity within Acquisitions Incorporated. But it could just as easily be you used to work for one of the mass lords of Waterdeep. You, know, mm-hmm. you used to work for the, the Zentarum. Yes. It, it can be any of those uh, organizations. And, and if if for some reason you run an Acquisitions Incorporated game in Eberron, it could be one of the Dragonmarked houses that you used to work for. In fact, uh, the, if you want to run a less comedic version of this game, you can put it in Eberron. It will work really well because there's lots and lots of factions in Eberron and lots of lots of places to put this stuff. Sure. So, yeah, it's it's just, uh, you know, another way of adding a little drama to it, uh, adding a way to get additional information to deepen the story. Um, you know, all of that is implicit within just this one background. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say lots and lots of factions in Emberon, I mean, a lot of them are very much based on the idea of business. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Let's talk about classes, playing with class. We're not going to talk about all the different classes that get played with. We're going to, we're going to talk about what this section does in general, and then we're going to do use one of them as an example. Mm-hmm. So this whole idea is that it will give um, the classes and how to fit them into an AI campaign structure. Yep. I want to add one thing before we start with this. Sure. And you know, I'm, I'm under NDA, so I can't talk about a lot of things that went on. But one thing that was revealed publicly so I can comment on was that we did create um, subclasses for the book, but that was when we thought we were going to be kickstarting the book. Mm. Once Wizards became involved with all of the playtesting that needs to be involved with subclasses and the timeline that we were working with to get the book published, there was no way we could have playtested the subclasses that we had created. Um, so those were cut, and this was the next best thing. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, are those subclasses some of the subclasses, now that you can say, ones we're seeing in these these UA articles? Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Nothing okay. like that. Nothing like that. All right. Um, and not that you could tell me anyway. Right. But you can deny it, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. All right. So the idea is that each section has a bit of an overview of the class in the AI world. There's often a neat detail that you can add in that is just flavor. And then um, some ideas for how the different subclasses can be reskinned or reflavored to fit an AI game. That sound about right? That sounds exactly right. Uh, you want to talk about? Is it okay if we talk about the barbarian? Sure. Go All right. For it. So the the barbarian's idea in in an AI campaign is they are a violent message sender. They're like the knee breakers that you get for the mob. Mm-hmm. That is that is their their role as far as AI uh, insinuates. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. To that, they have a signature item. It's like a calling card. For example, like um, you go and you beat somebody down and you want to make sure that it's known that you were the one that did it. Uh, you leave a carved ivory die with an eye instead of a pip on the one face just lying there. That's that's like your calling card. It could be other things, too, like a fedora that has like uh, part of the, the, the brim split, something like that. You can make stuff up, but there's a list also that you can just roll on or choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, it, it talks about how some of the subclasses fit in. So like the path of the ancestral guardian. Um, you can commune with the execs and corporate raiders who came before you. So your ancestral guardian is, you know, somebody that was in the business before you were. Right. For example, like a grumpy dwarf carriage driver named Bolt. 
So when you summon your ancestral guardian, it's a grumpy dwarf carriage driver named Bolt. Right. Yeah. It, you know, in in the in the actual um, official version of the Path of the Ancestral Guardian, right? It's it's your ancestors. Mm-hmm. It's it's people from the past who are now spirits who who come to you and offer you assistance, whether it be actual physical assistance in the real world or like advice. So the, it's not too uh, hard a sell to say. Well, you know, if you're in Acquisitions Incorporated, you've got the, you know, the business uh, spirits behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people who have gone before you in, and they just haven't been able to leave uh, the this world, their spirits. They're just hanging around. And I, I all I can think of when I think of this is like people who are, have retired and they all meet at like the coffee shop in the middle of town. And they just sit and they gossip about the old days or what's going wrong now. That's how I see this, right? You've got all of these people uh, from the past sipping coffee, swirling around you, telling you how to do things. Mm-hmm. That's it's really good. Like it's it's very flavorful. It fits right into the AI thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So all the rest of them pretty much fit that that structure. So uh, we don't really. I don't think we need to talk about any of the other ones. Like you can just go. Get the book and read them all. They're they're all kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the new race, the Verdan. So, the Verdan, they're uh, they were goblins, right? Originally. Yes. And they were created by an entropic force. The uh, what the thing that will be there at the end and and be there at yeah. the beginning. What's yeah, it called? That, that which endures. Yeah, that which endures. So, they mutate as they age. That's kind of the theme for them, and. Um, they uh they just that's that's what their their shtick is. Although oh, when we talk about this a little a little bit, there's a there's a telepathic thing that goes on here that I didn't quite get from the flavor. So I will be asking you about that, Sean, if you could okay. touch on that. Sure. Um, one of the things that I read that I thought was really cool, and these are the things that I like in books like this. Uh, there's like a sidebar that's called underlying improvements. So it mm-hmm. says th- this is me quoting it. When a Verdant character gains an ability score improvement at certain levels, that increase can be tied to a, a physical mutation at the player's determination. A boost to strength might be accompanied by a growth spurt and the development of rippling muscle, while an increase in intelligence might produce a stylishly large forehead. Right. So these are the things that I love in books. I mean, I think it helps um, the books and the ideas within stand apart a little bit and ties into the idea of what is the story behind the mechanism. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's just a way to explain in world why every four levels you are getting more charismatic or mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, dexterous. And you know, it's funny because people, I see people, you know, we're talking about people on the internet. I see people all the time saying, you know, for a mechanical thing, well, how is that? How is that part of the world? How is that something that is real uh, in the world as opposed to just in the mechanic? But but this ability score increase is something where I never see them say that. Mm-hmm. It's the um, thing that I always ask is how does how does a mechanic tie into the story of the fiction? Right. So so that is it's just a way to make these guys a little more guys. They're goblins. Um, make them a, a little more um, real in in this world. All right, let's talk about some of the traits. We won't talk about all of them because some of them are pretty pretty basic. But um, mm-hmm. uh, so the ability score increase, 
Uh, your constitution score increases by one and your charisma score increases by two. This makes perfect sense to me because in the Verdan section, it talks about how the Verdan are, um, they, they, they're cultural chameleons. They like, uh, because they don't have their own culture really in a lot of ways, they just sort of adopt other cultures. Yep. I'm just to step back for a second. The, the backstory of these goblins is they, they were a tribe, a large tribe that were underground and they, they moved into an area that was being <laughs> renovated uh, is, is the wrong word, but it, it was being changed by this power, powerful being of entropy. Um, so when they changed, they, they lost all, not only of their own memories, but kind of their cultural, uh, subconscious. So they, they just, they couldn't remember anything, who they were, where they were, what brought them here or anything. Um, so when they, they, when they came out of the underdark into the world, they, they were very curious and they, they, you know, rather than being f- afraid of everything, they they kind of grasped onto whatever they encountered as their own for a while. Mm-hmm. So this 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 charisma is is very much a an openness to new ideas and new things and acceptance of others and and their culture. And their constitution is because they were affected by that which endures. Right. They yeah. they became hardier um, in that transition. Um, to go with that, that constitution, they have a thing called black blood healing. So they have black blood. It's, it's that sign of their connection to that which endures, which boosts their natural healing. So when you roll a one or a two on any hit die that you spend at, a, uh, at the end of a short rest, you can re-roll the die, but you have to use the new roll. Right. And I think that's a really good mechanism to, to indicate that they are tougher. Yep, yep. For some reason, the people that I play with when they roll hit dice, it's always a one or a two, right? <laughs> and then you get to, oh, now i got to use another one. Or, or unless you're first level, then that's all you get. So uh, for some reason to me, that, that seems like a, a valuable uh, thing, especially at lower levels. Um, it's less valuable if you run adventures where... You know, after a couple of encounters, you're always taking a long rest. But if you run any sort of longer string of encounters where short rests come in handy and hit dice are valuable, then this becomes an even more valuable um, ability. Absolutely. Uh, before we get to the telepathy stuff and the telepathic, there's limited telepathy and telepathic insight. But before we get to those, I want to talk about persuasive because you... um you're persuasive. You have proficiency in the persuasion skill because of your lack of history that Sean mentioned before. It makes you, as as Sean said, since you're so curious, it's um, it makes you trustworthy and also a little humble because you don't really know anything about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's the curiosity, right? It's the acceptance that that gives you a, a bit of a better feel for people. Yeah, I also think that the uh, the adoption of other people's cultures so readily also makes you pretty uh trustworthy in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's these these creatures the verdan they don't fake it they just get it right yep um let's talk about the telepathy thing this is the part that i don't understand because i didn't really grasp anything from the background that talked about telepathy so they have limited telepathy where they can telepathically speak to any creature they can see within 30 feet um they don't have to share a language but they have to be able to understand at least one language right. and this communication is neat because it's slow 
and limited. Uh, and really, all you can do is transmit simple ideas and straightforward concepts. So there's no, there's no like long drawn out philosophical conversations going on here. Right. It's it's the it's the mutation from from this being that that causes it um, in terms of flavor. And the the reason I like this is because it's not overpowered, but it helps move games along. Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the things, especially at the lowest levels, that causes games to to not work well sometimes is the inability to understand a creature. Because, you know, part of the fun of gaming for me is, you know, that role playing, that being in a situation that's different and seeing what happens. And if you cut that ability right away by not letting someone communicate, it, um, you know, it just it eliminates a fun part of the game sometimes. Yeah, it also eliminates options. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So this not only does that, it it goes with this idea of you know being in tune with someone because of your own negated capability mm-hmm. right you 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 lose this but you gain this and um it also since it's slow and since it's limited it it gives you an option to have some comedy right it gives you the the ability to miscommunicate a bit or to have it to have it go a little bit wrong in some way yeah absolutely so, so that's yeah that's why it's there um I, I don't have a problem with the telepathy I just don't understand why there's two telepathic abilities I mean I guess you just use one for you you grab one for the since you started with one but I figured like you they would all just be different because of the mutations but uh, the telepathic insight, uh, your mind's connection to the world around you strengthens your will, so you have advantage in all wisdom and charisma saving throws. Yeah. Uh, I get it. Like, I mean, I get it because it's t- tied, and I think it's a perfectly fine ability. I also like the limited telepathy as an ability. I just wasn't sure why it was there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the insight is just regular insight, but the insight comes from having this connection with other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if they're trying to affect your mind... Um, you understand that better because you are connected to theirs. Sure. And and that's where the you know wisdom and charisma saving throw uh, bonuses come in. Okay, uh, let's talk about spells real quick because there's a, a list of spells that are very AI. Uh, mm-hmm. We won't spend too much time on them. Um, so distort value, this is a very AI spell. It's a, you double or have the perceived value of an item. I think that's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, fast friends, I actually like this spell quite a bit for how it's phrased. So the fast friend spell, like you can charm somebody, and it's a it's not a first level spell; it's a higher level spell. I forget if it's, it's second. third level. It's third level. Yeah. Um, it's it's concentration. They will do things that you ask them to do. Um, so it's it's actually the spell that we always think the charm actually is, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but if they are going to do something that is dangerous or against their values, they get a saving throw. But they will still, but so they can they get that next saving throw. But they'll still do it. So they'll do things that you ask them to do as long as you ask them to do it in a friendly way. Right. I mean, it's it's as it's exactly what you said, Chris. You know, we were thinking, here's how charm person is supposed to work, according to the rules. Here and then, let's make one that's a little higher level that actually works how people use it. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's make it how people use it. Boom, yeah. there it is. It's really good. 
Um, the gift of gab. This is interesting and highly situational. I imagine it was made because of Jim Dark Magic, um, <laughs> or any funny yeah player. Right. I'm I'm not sure who would ever like take this and memorize it because it's a first level spell I think or maybe a second. No, level. oh, it's a second level spell. Second level spell. Yeah. Um, because what you can do is you can you can say you can use it as a reaction and then you can basically erase the memories of everyone around you from what you said for the last six seconds and replace them with whatever the verbal components of the spell were. Right. That's hilarious. Yeah. But I don't I don't understand when I would use this spell otherwise other than it being just like sitting there. Well, I, you know, I have played countless uh, countless games where we're role playing i as the dm will say something and then the player will say something funny or inappropriate and th- but then after they say it i start to react and they're like no 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 that was out of character what this spell does is allow them to say that and then say oh okay that was out of character but I'm going to cast this spell, and now I'm going to say what I really wanted to say. <laughs> so it's actually a mechanic to let people do that and then pay a little price for it, you know, mechanically. Okay. That makes um, – that's, that's fine. I, there, I, I can imagine there's those tables that play that way that would that would make that actually useful. Yeah. So – um, Again, it's, it's just there. You don't have to use it. Yeah. But it's there to um, – and then it, it is useful in – in so many ways sometimes because you can say something to see what the reaction is to it. Oh, see, that's a that's actually a good point right there. Right? If, if you want to use it in that way, you say something, you see what they do, and then you take it back, and you've got that information, and then you can say something else. Now, that's a, that's a use of the spell that I didn't consider, and that's actually a really good idea. Right. Um, so the next one, uh, Insight Greed. I actually like this spell as a controller spell in combat. Um, and also a negotiation spell and interaction. So you pull out a gem and you cast a spell and it charms everyone around you and they have to like move slowly close. They're charmed and mm-hmm. they will move, move uh, safely towards the gem. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember correctly, it's a third level spell. Yes. Uh, it, and I think it's because of that flexibility that I, that I noted. I mean, you would know better than me. Yep. No, I mean, it's you can do it. You can use it, as you say mechanically in this way right you want people you want a creature to be charmed and to move closer to you um or just hold still and stare at the gem if they get within five feet of you you now have that mechanical you know tactical spell Mm -hmm. but if you just want to use it in sort of a role-playing sort of way you can affect people you can make them super greedy yeah and whatever consequences of that um you know you could if you're negotiating you're trying to get a job from a merchant, and this other group is trying to as well. You cast that uh, on the the other group, and they start asking for too much money, and you get the job. You know, it, it can be used as sort of that narrative spell as well. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's it's one of the reasons why I like it so much is because it's flexible. Mm-hmm. It's used in multiple situations. Right. You'll see that I always like spells in this game that are, can be used in multiple situations. Yep. Um, Jim's glowing coin. I like this one. It's fun, fun and good for starting a fight. It's basically a flash bomb. Yeah. Uh, so it, what you do is you cast it on a coin, and the coin lights up um, brightly, which gives everybody disadvantage against uh, perception checks, and gives advantage to or and disadvantage on initiative rolls. Right. And I'll tell you, this is another one of those. Let's make a spell that people try to do with other spells. Right. 
at, at first level, new players, right? They they can cast light, mm-hmm. and so they're they're peeking into a room. There's a group of orcs in the room. They look at their character sheet. They're like, "Oh, I want to cast light to distract them." Right? They always try that. Yep. And it, it's always then up to the DM. Oh, how do I do this? What do I do? So what this is is an actual way to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a same as a light spell, so you can use it that way. But you can also, um, if you're trying to stealth, you can use this. Throw it in the room. If they fail their save, you have a, uh, they have disadvantage on their perception checks to see you, and on their initiative rolls if you rush into the room. Mm-hmm. So it's useful in all of those ways, which makes it a pretty great spell. Yep. Uh, Jim's magic missile. So I like this a lot. So you actually throw three magic, three bolts of energy. You have to make a spell attack rolls with them. Uh, they each do 2d4 damage, and if you crit, they do 5d4 instead of instead of doubling the dice. Uh, and if you roll a 1 on any of those attack rolls, it backfires and you take 3 force damage. Because mm-hmm. the missiles blow up in your face. Right. There's nothing I don't like about that. Yeah. It, yeah, this is, this is for people who liked the 4th edition magic missile spell, where you actually had to make an attack roll, but you also could crit with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just... And, you know, the reason we made it is when the very first... Um, games of Acquisitions Incorporated were 4th edition games. So when Jim Dark Magic cast Magic Missile, he had to make attack rolls. Yep, and now it's called Jim's Magic Missile. Yep. <laughs> uh, and Motivational Speech is a pretty solid buff spell. It just, uh, I forget, it gives people advantage on like um, a number of things. I don't have it all written down. Do you uh, remember? Advantage, advantage on Wisdom saving throws? Yeah. Uh, temporary hit points? Yep, and uh, if you get hit, then the next attack that you make has advantage against that creature. Yep. And you, it, it stays for one hour or for as long as you uh, have those temporary hit points. Correct. So. Good, good stuff. I like it. Yep. All right. Um, the last thing is factions and rivals. I, these are just AI-specific groups, mm-hmm. and each one of them gets a few paragraphs telling a bit about their place in the AI world. Um, the AI paragraphs, I mean, the book is about this organization, so it's a lot of propaganda making them look good. And. It's not hard for them to look good in their own minds. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Uh, the Duran Enterprises, thats uh, they seek the best eye at their own game, and they're also run by Omendron's sister Portentia these days. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Noble Knife. They're, they assassinate tyrants, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Silver Sliver, which is a tongue twister, which Omen says, I don't know why your marketing would put you as a tongue twister. I also don't know why you don't charge for your services, because they're just a bunch of do-gooders that mm-hmm. wear silver masks. Yep. Um, and there's the six, which are AI's equivalent to the Sinister Six, maybe, because maybe there's six of them. And they're just a bunch of former enemies of AI that keep coming back and banding together to, to cause trouble. Yep. This is, this is, well, if you have watched Acquisitions Incorporated over the years, what Chris Perkins did in these games is brilliant. And a lot of these groups came from that. Mm-hmm. And they they are useful if even if you change the names in your campaign, in, even if you're running a homebrew campaign, all of these are typical things that you can do to deepen a storyline while continuing an ongoing narrative. So with Drawn Enterprises, um, Chris worked with uh, Jerry Holkins, who plays Omen Drawn, to come up with a backstory about different things that they were doing and you know omen's family was a big part of his life and he lost a sister in in a dungeon called the wandering crypt 
So this whole storyline um, was he was searching for her. When he found her, she had created this whole other group to oppose Acquisitions Incorporated. So right there is, you know, backstory, lost his sister. Now that I found her, she's an enemy. Boom. Perfect. Also uh, not his real sister. Right. Um, the noble knife. Until she died and then the real other sister showed up to take it over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then it, it moved forward from there. But go you know, go, uh, go go read the book. <laughs> the, the noble knife and the silver sliver are just these these alternate groups. Acquisition Incorporated is not a lawful good organization, to say the least. No, they're, um, they're a lawful I want money group. Right. They, they, they are more along the neutral to even further to the right or to the south uh, of I neutral. Mean, let's just call them what they are, lawful greedy. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, these good groups are can be in the world and can be opposition in some ways. The six, then, is people who Acquisitions Incorporated have wronged along the way who have banded together to oppose them and try to bring them down. And, you know, all of these things are, they're typical things that you might create in your own home campaign, but just told by a really great DM, Chris Perkins, and a really great group of players. So they're interesting in a lot of ways because they're not your typical, um, if you reskin them, like just or just took off the skin and looked at them um as as the what the what function they serve right they're different because a lot of these groups the player characters would fit into in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like they could be like normal player characters would be part of the noble knife or the silver sliver because those are the organizations that take down bad people right in quotes bad people right so when you play an acquisitions incorporated game you can play a game that is not about necessarily playing good people you can play but you're not necessarily playing evil people right so you can have your non good but yet not evil campaign and these all fit inside of that pretty pretty eloquently actually yeah Yeah. that's that was the plan or efficiently or right not they they, they fit a a storytelling elegantly um, not eloquently elegantly that's what i meant to say well it's eloquent as well but yeah you know they fit the trope, right? They fit the the narrative um, paradigm that this game creates. Yeah, concerning the fact you're playing the characters from a different trope, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good. I like them. It's fun. Uh, the, the short. It's it's interesting. It's it's actually more interesting as a to me as like a larger topic to explore than it is as as where it is in the book. In the book, it's just interesting. Um, yeah. But like the way that it is used the, and the kind of ideas that it brings up is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, even if you're not running an AI game specifically, there's there are lessons to be learned by all of these. True facts. Yep. And, and even the like the playing with class section, it, it shows how to um, manipulate the standard story to have it fit into a different world. So you could just as easily take the you know office satire out stick in um some sort of jungle theme and still say oh i see what they did with this subclass i'm going to do that but it's going to be this you know tarzan uh lord of the jungle 
ruined civilization sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean, that's pretty much all the mechanical stuff in the book because the next part of the book is an adventure. I mean, true story. I mean, we can talk about that if you want to. I don't know if we need to. And then after that, it's just like appendix stuff about Acquisitions Incorporated. Yeah. Wh- why don't we just cover the whole rest of the book in the next section? Sure. We can nope. touch. We can touch on the adventure without spoiling it. We can, you know, touch on the individual monsters or other things in the book. Sure. And so that's what we'll do, and that'll be our last episode on the AI book. There you go. All right, everybody. Let's do some. Uh, Thank you for so much for listening. Let's do some Patreon shoutouts. Uh, Jen Pixelscapes Gagney, Joseph Peralta, Mike Amer, Ninjabi, The Rainmaker, Richard Ruane, Roy McLeod, Savannah Sizer, Scott Ryder, Sean P. Kelly, Steve Bissonette, Steve Radabaugh, The Tabletop Bellhop, Tad Leckman, T. Kustik, Theodore Atkinson, Thomas Bagley, Victor Wyatt, and Zach Coins. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Download D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out like you just heard. Yeah, or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, you also get to see our show notes, and you get access to our Slack room, where you can chat with us wherever you want, or you can go to the forums. Mm-hmm. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review or a review anywhere, really. Yep. Any of those places, Apple Podcast or any other podcatcher reviews or Twitter or Facebook or anywhere, um, if you could just give us a review, uh, tell us how you think we're doing, what you like, what you don't like, we would appreciate it. It helps make us more visible and broadens our reach in the D&D world. You know, if you like D&D, starting on September 30th, you can check out the FM Gamers on the new Misdirected Mark Twitch channel. twitch.tv slash misdirectedmark where uh, we will be playing D&D. Sean won't be playing, but I will be, with uh, Jesse Edmonds, their editor of this show and uh, the host of The Lounge and some new cast members. Sweet. Uh, we'll be playing a game called Spelljammed using the 5th edition D&D rules. Nice. Uh, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on those f- aforementioned forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com. Mm-hmm. How about you, Chris? Uh, I'm at the Light 101, or if you want to you know, get a hold of the network in general, it's at misdirectedmark on Twitter. You can also just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as Bonus Experience, where Ray and Monica... These two wonderful old friends, they explore gameplay and design through the lens of diversity, while also sharing some of the dumbest humor gaming has to offer. And it's quite wonderful. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Mad Wizard Merwin, who's maternal and melted, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill some monsters. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D? I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know Who's down with D&D?